This week's major spoilers podcast goes out to the following fine and faithful foilerites. <laughs> Brian Nelson, Alex Springman, Sean Engar, Justin Norris, Nathan Olson, Lynn Skog Severin. Oh, I like that. I'm going to name my next kid Lind Skog. Julia Hess, Robert Castlake, Christopher Mathias, Robert Laville, and Josh Payne. The wife just looked at me like, what makes you think we're ever going to have any more children? And sadly, that's probably true. But in any case, this one goes out to each and every one of they. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, why is it that no one remembers the name of Johann Gamble, Putty, Devon Osfern, Splitten, Schlittercrass, Krenbon, Fried Digger, Dingle Dangle Dongle, Dungle Bursting, Von Knacker Thrasher, Applebanger, Horowitz, Tickelosen, Grander, Naughty, Speltingle, Grandlick, Grumblemeyer, Spelterwasser, Kerslick, Himbel Eisen, Bonwagen, Guten Abend, Bita, Ein Nürnberger, Bratweisel, Gishburton, Mitz, Weimach, Luber, Hans, Futguber, Aber, Schonendanker, Cobsflake, Mittelrocker, Von Hauptkopf of Ulm. We'd like to tell you, but we're all out of time. Stay tuned for the Major Spoilers podcast, which is on the air. Welcome to issue 538 of the Major Spoilers podcast, <laughs> the killing Hooray! podcast, Rodrigo. Oh, that's I a cannot bad. believe that we have not read the killing joke on this show before. I, I, swear, I swear we've done it, but reading through this again, I, I know we've talked about uh, the new deluxe can. version in 2008. That may but be we it. have not talked about this book on the show. Mm -hmm. I haven't read this in like 15 years. I swear to you. We must fix this. I remember about it isn't actually in it. Well, to be fair, this isn't an only Batman podcast. What? Despite what? Despite clear attempts. What? Um. So yeah, you know, we due to a lack of effort on Stephen's part. Yeah, I mean, this we've was, read. This, this is, is somebody else suggested this. Yeah, we've read like at least four major Batman arcs. We did. We did, and like a, a billion Spider-Man arcs. Yeah, yeah. We did we've done uh, like two Spider-Man arcs. That one where Bat? Did we do that one where Batman is actually Superman? Mm -mm. No, no, we did uh, Holy Terror. I know we did that. We yeah. did Dark Knight Returns. We did Poison or Venom or. Oh yeah, yeah. We did Venom. We did Venom. We did the Cult. Yeah. Oh, the Cult was the one that I that was, was really good though. The, we've done the Long Halloween and we've done Hush. Yeah. yeah. So I think we've done at least six major Batman the arcs. Why we yeah. thought we did the Killing Joke was because of what the Cult? Because we did the Cult. Batman in the eighties. Yeah. And I think my brain may have conflated the cult with the killing joke. The killing cult joke. Well, we will talk about the killing joke a little bit later on, but first let us get to some news. News time! Um, there's really not a lot of news. It was a very quiet week last week. Very quiet week so far this week, which means watch the sky. Something is going to drop on our head. And I guarantee you it's not Justin Bieber as Robin. No, it's actually Jamie Foxx. <laughs> uh, the only other two stories that we have, Ant-Man moves from a November release to a July release and August comic sales. Let's spin that. Uh, let's flip that uh, coin <laughs> and see where we land. Oh, Zach's not here this week. Yeah. For people that were wondering. He's not just Zach, quiet speaking, over there. Speaking of sidekicks. <laughs> 
Um, who will be playing Jay? Who will be played by Jamie Foxx in a future there adaptation? There you go. Right. That'd be Zach funny. played by Jamie Foxx. <laughs> now, if we can just get Kevin Nash to put on 120 pounds to play me, then we're set. Um, yeah, we'll talk about where Zach is next week. So that means we don't have a Zach on film this week. For those of you who listen to this show and listen to the other shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. We, we will get to Raging Bull next week. Are never ideal, but I know. Raging Bull required a little more extra time. To oh man, I watched that again the other night. Ugh. Anyway, uh, landed the the coin landed on Ant Man. Oh Ant-Man. no, poor Ant Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. He's got the proportional strength of a man pro- at full ooh, size. This guy's got the proportional strength of a human. Oh, I'm scared. Hold <laughs> me back, Spider Man. <laughs> So uh, Edgar Wright directing uh, the Ant-Man movie, but the uh, Walt Disney Studios and Marvel Studios have decided to move Ant-Man from a November 6, 2015 release all the way to July 31st, wow. 2015, actually moving it so, up to the very end of the summer schedule. Yeah. But a still moving it up to the summer release. Now, this also comes in because I think the um, crap, I forgot the uh, whole release, but I'm pretty sure that uh, we've got Guardians of the Galaxy and the Avengers movie. The, the second Avengers movie, third Avengers movie, I forget, coming out in 2015 as well. So they're all coming out in that same block wow. together. And uh, Ant-Man kicks off phase three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <gasps> phase three. Phase three. What do you think that means? I know, I know. What does it mean? Phase three. No, no, no. I meant the, the third phase. I meant the uh, moving the movie up. Do they have that much uh, hope that well, it's a, a good release? I don't know. I will say this, moving it from the beginning of the holiday season to the end of the summer season seems to be roughly equivalent. I mean, a November I don't know. Release. November release, man, there's, I mean, I would have moved it if they were going to have it as a November release, a yeah. Thanksgiving release would have been. So it wasn't going to be a Thanksgiving release? Okay. Oh, so Unless November be- 6th was somehow... So in Thursday your opinion, and, oh, 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 arbiter of things that are uh, related, well, is this a better slot? I think it is. I think because it's still summertime, the kids are still running around in their um, in their uh, rag tops and saying 23 skidoo uh-huh. and uh, going down to the soda shop. Right. And they're not bogged down with oh, got the homework. Dude, dude we're the-, the same age. What <laughs> what planet did you grow up on? Oh, hey, guess what? On our next top five. Top five events that we would like to go back in history and witness. Like Stephen's youth in the 1920s. <laughs> <laughs> the Great so, Gatsby is actually based on Stephen. So the, uh, so I think that moving it up to the, to the uh, summertime is actually a good thing, uh-huh. um, especially if they are looking at really ramping up like this phase three initiative, whatever that right. may be, Doctor Strange or whatever else they have uh, up their sleeves. Uh, and I, certainly keeping it a part of that summer schedule works really well. November 6th is just not a time that you would expect a big blockbuster movie to come out because, again, people are in school, people are working. The first big break you have is, bam, right at the end of November all the way through, you know, well, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Not, well, it sounds like a, a good indicator that they have some faith in this flick. I mean, Well, yes, that would be honestly, the other thing. Iron Man, when Iron Man came to film, there wasn't a whole lot of Iron Man to be had. They put it way up, what, in May or April? It was way yeah. early in that summer schedule. But it was just That's like, really the first big Iron Man thing. There haven't been like a whole lot of Iron Man cartoons. We never had an Iron Man show. Mm-hmm. The only Ant-Man portrayal that we have is Garrett Morris on Saturday Night Live. 
Do we not uh, have? Uh, we've had, had, had Ant Man in uh, yeah. Marvel's. Uh, uh, I guess was it? yeah. He was Avengers, Avengers, Earth's greatest heroes. Yep. And Avengers. He's, he's at least guest nice. starred in the in both Avenger. Yeah. Like the the big headed one and the normal headed one. That oh, 1990 yeah, yeah, yeah. Avengers show. He was the leader of the he team. He was. Yep. He was. He had like a weird little spaceship that hung out on his back. Yeah. Yeah. So. But but, but so, yeah, I mean nobody nobody's ever heard of him still. So. That no, is no, a no. low low profile, and I'm yeah. thinking that they're going to put it out in July and confuse people and make them think it's another Batman. You know what I think? What do you think? I think there's another big major movie mm-hmm. that's coming out in probably, 2015. Probably Phineas and Ferb. No, not Phineas Herbies and Ferb. And that they want to make sure that it doesn't stamp on any of their other properties that are movies that are coming stamp out at that same. Ant Man. Yes, <laughs> I get it. What is it? Uh, a little movie called Star Wars that hasn't had a release date set, but they are saying 2015. And I'm thinking that they're going to move yeah, that right to yeah. the holiday season, as opposed to summer releases when it's been there before. Although many people have commented, oh, yeah, July 4th or I'm, May 4th would have been the best day to release the new Star Wars movie because that's traditionally no, the Star Wars I, I, unofficial I holiday. And that's no. and that's fine. But... <laughs> That's a, that's just, a dumb just joke. because yeah, just because it's like a cute thing doesn't mean that you should do it because now, you might a not get a re-release on May the fourth of two thousand sixteen right, right. in IMAX three D glow in the dark chocolate fudge ripple chromium yeah, foil boy. would be awesome. And you know how much Disney loves to do that, but you can't take a major movie release and tie it to a pun. Why Disney and Disney and Lucasfilm already run with that? I hate it. That's they, why they run with it. So I hate that. I yeah. hate talk like a pirate day. So, <laughs> I hate Black Tuesday. I hate May the Fourth be with and, you. I just I hate it. And the same goes for Christmas. <gasps> I uh, so I think that we're looking at maybe a Star Wars release, and they're trying to open up that schedule uh-huh. so that there's you know because if you have Ant Man open up the first of November, and then, and then three two Star weeks Wars. later Star Wars opens up, forget it. Ant Man's going to have two weeks in the theater, and then that's it. Yeah, uh, honestly, so. in this day and age, isn't two weeks in the theater kind of a good thing? Eh, you know, it depends on the movie. You know, obvi- obviously, and we've talked about this before. Studios are really more concerned about the opening weekend because after that yeah. revenues drop off by half mm-hmm. as opposed to 20% drops off the end of the pier. And, and it does by about week four. Up. Yeah. You're, you're totally off the map unless the it's something stops the day it hits. Oh the yeah. End. Unless it's something really awesome like the Avengers, which ran all summer and people were still going back and seeing it multiple times over the summertime. Uh, the first Iron Man was the same way too. It lasted in theaters way longer than people expected. And because it was doing so well, they ramped up the advertising campaign twice on that one. So, like more. I don't iron. know. I think uh, moving Ant Man up is actually a good sign about the movie. Maybe it's mm-hmm. there. They have more faith in it than they did. Maybe they're just trying to uh, have they keep have from they losing money. Their Ant Man yet? No, because they haven't. You know who's available? Who's that? Jason Mewes. <laughs> if Ben Affleck's going to be Batman, Jason Mewes would be a great Ant Man. Yeah, Snoogans. Snooch to the nooch. <laughs> Ants away! I, I don't think so. The ants dancing to Morris Day in the time. The wasp can be played by Kevin Smith. <laughs> I don't think so. Hey, he's got the body of a wasp. <laughs> <laughs> you know, have you ever seen the Crimson Beetle? Yeah, he'd be a good uh, Kevin Smith type character. I'd have to look. Kevin Smith is uh, well. 
gotten pretty big lately. You can, I, I mean, I guess it would make sense if they cast those two as Avengers, since it goes. It's it's been proven that you need to have been previously a superhero in order to be a superhero. And Agreed. since Jay and Silent Bob have already played Blunt, Blunt Man and, and Chronic, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. They they're 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 definitely ahead of the pack. Actually, I hear that uh, Silent Bob is uh, in the lead to play Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four boot launch. Okay. He's going to play Reed Richards, and uh, the Human Torch is going to be Jamie Foxx. The Thing is actually going to be Alicia Keys. And the Invisible Woman is going to be played by Will Ferrell. Sounds perfect. Yeah, you know who told me that? My cousin, Awful Tony, told me that. (laughs) He's awful. All right, listeners, you can read more about Ant-Man over at Majorspoilers.com, and you can uh, look for all big announcements and big stories over there, as well as, if you're a Critical Hit fan, our Dungeons & Dragons podcast, and and you've been hearing us talk about these mystical stealth rules, Mm -hmm. they are spelled out for you in detail. Not that any of us who played the game have read the article. Yeah, of course. Really, the uh, Tone's not so much with the stealth. But if you want to know uh, Rodrigo's rules for stealth for Dungeons and Dragons, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can check it out and um, add it to your next gaming session. Wiki wiki. All right. Um, bu- 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 let's get to some reviews. Why do you keep singing oh, you know what? Hawaii Five-O theme? Yes. I'm aware was... of what it is. Why are you doing that? I thought it was the like um, Muppet like this is chickens. A, um, see, I'm giving uh, you guys of the William Tell overture. I'm giving you guys the perfect opportunity <laughs> to do a a shout out, possibly to one of the reasons that people should subscribe to VIP. I, is that I the feel French? like I should do a weather bed. Is that the Friends theme song? <laughs> 79 degrees in Topeka right now. Tomorrow, Man, you guys the blow perfect opportunities to promote, 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 and throw in a commercial. Listeners, thank you for uh, sharing this fine podcast with everyone out there. This free Sun podcast. Storms available tonight. 69 degrees for a low. Free podcast. Free. I thought. I thought maybe spread the word. I thought maybe we had something like, um, you know, we had like a silver membership and you get certain things and then you have a gold membership and you get certain things at the platinum membership. We cut out all the times where we sing or pretend to play <laughs> instruments from the podcast. Let's get to some Wait, reviews. I still want to be in the show. <laughs> you cannot do that. First, they come for the instruments. Then they come for the bad singing. Then they come for the references. And when they came for me, I had nothing to say. <laughs> How about some reviews, Rodrigo? What do you got this week? Uh, this week. Oh. Yeah. That's right. So a little a little TV show, a little TV show had its uh, season premiere um, kind of as a, as a uh, hour-long two-parter kind of thing. Um, I'm talking about New The Girl. Legend of Korra. Oh. Book two. Book two, Spirits. Spirit. Electric on, Boogaloo. On Nickelodeon. Oh, man, we missed the first 35 minutes, and I was like, eh, we're going to get it on iTunes anyway. So that night I was like, surely they've got the subscription ready to go. No. no. It wasn't until the next day that they had the subscription ready to go on iTunes. So we watched it the day after, but uh, myself, the boy, and the wife all sat down and watched both episodes back to back. So what'd you think? I enjoyed it. I think that, um, 
really the only issue that I have with it is that we are getting a ton of characters up front. Oh, yeah. I mean, a ton of characters. So we have... We have all of the main cast from last time, except for Lin Bei Fong. Mm-hmm. So we have Korra, Mako, Bolin, and Asami, mm-hmm. kind of a, the, we're like the core group. Mm-hmm. And then Tenzin, I think I had that Tenzin the who's day, there. And his teacher, family. Yeah, and his entire family, who right. is four kids and his wife. And on top of that, and on top of that, now we have his two his, siblings, his brother, like and the, yeah, Ang's other two kids, yeah, his brother and his sister. Somebody got mad at me the other day because they were saying, "Well, what's Legend of Korra about?" Well, it's about the the other Avatar, the one that that comes after Ang dies. <gasps> Ang dies! How dare you ruin it for me? And it's no, like uh, Ang's dead by the time the series starts. Right. Right. So if that's a it's spoiler like, for it's you. It's like, well, you can't have another Avatar until yeah, the previous one exactly. dies. So spoiler alert, <laughs> there's a new show. Yeah, so there's, and then not only that, but we meet um, Korra's dad, who we've met before. Right. He's the, the chief of the Southern Water Tribe. Which is kind of a retcon, I think. Cause, yeah, he seems it wasn't before, it, right? Well, we've seen him before, but it wasn't mentioned before that he was the chief of the yeah, Water yeah, Tribe, yeah, yeah. of the Southern Water Tribe. So um, it seemed strange that now he was. I mean... Potentially, he could have been elected chief in the past five years. Although, from the story that we learned, probably not. Probably not. But then why is he chief in the South? Well, because there's something that happened when he was younger right. with his brother, who's right. the chief of the right. Northern so Water on, Tribe. On top of that, we meet the chief of the Northern Water Actually, Tribe. Actually, he's the chief of all water tribes, No, right? he's, the chief, the, he's the, the chief of the Northern okay. Water Tribe. Okay. Which is why, the, and which is relevant. Yes. Um... And also the chief of the, who's Cora's uncle, mm-hmm. and also his two kids, mm-hmm. twins. So, yes, twins, like very weird androgynous like twins, Camus and Orem kind, kind of. of yeah, actually, there, yeah. Which is um, what I thought about. Yeah. So these thirty-seven characters, <laughs> about they split them, um, maybe in like a. Like, uh, not quite in half, but like the majority of them go down to the South Pole to deal with spirits. The others are tripping around the uh, air temples, but it appears the stories are related by mystical magic. Um, the animation is great, mm-hmm. it's a head and shoulders above almost any other animated series that's coming out of the United States nowadays. Oh, yeah. Um, just in, in terms of action and, um, but not just action, but also, um, like, uh, what I want to say, like cinematography. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, it, it, every episode of Legend of Korra kind of feels like a, uh, like a movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, which yeah. Is, which is great. And, you know, I mean, they just they just do a great job. The voice work is great. You know, all of the cast is back, mm-hmm. uh, including J. Jonah Jameson as... Uh, J.K. Simmons. Yeah, as Tenzin. As uh, Tenzin. Um, yeah, I, I found it real enjoyable. Again, um, don't I, I would really recommend watching the first season before watching this one, which is... And the first season is now available in Blu-ray, and you can probably mm-hmm. find it around. I think at least... It might be off now, but leading up to it, they had the whole first series available on Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah, cool. To watch for free. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might still be up. Uh, don't quote me on that. 
but I would definitely recommend that you watch the first one because you are in, otherwise you're going to be introduced to a thousand characters at the yeah, beginning of this, too much, yeah. and you're not going to know who's who and what's what. Mm-hmm. So I would I would really recommend watching the first one first. What did you think about uh, character development and story plot? I mean, this one is all about, or at least the first two episodes are about. Cora getting trained by someone else to learn the ways of the spirit and to tame the spirit world and bring <laughs> peace and harmony throughout the, the water tribes. Bring balance to the folks. Right. Um, but with a catch. Right. I thought it was, I thought, I don't know. I wasn't crazy about it. I think that, um, and, and uh, there is difficult for me to talk about without spoiling anything. So spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Um, we are introduced to a waterbender who wants to train Korra and who who basically goes, hey, paternal figures, me take Korra, you go over there, mm-hmm. which is basically how the last season started. Yeah. Um, like, it's, it's, it's almost like, if not for the fact that I've probably watched the first season all the way through like three times, mm-hmm. then... I might just look at uh, Cora's uncle and say that guy's not that different from right. Face Man. Mask. No, the, his oh, brother. His brother. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It seemed you know uh, season one seemed to be very much a political right commentary. This one is well. I think this one is walking into some. Very, I don't know. I don't. I think be careful about religious territory. Well, it's not just religious. Ter- I think it's going to get political too because mm-hmm. the way that the second episode yeah, ends, yeah, yeah, yeah. it really sets up a major conflict. Yeah. So my wife was like, "Oh." He's the he's obviously the big bad in this season. I'm like, well, remember how we were guessing in season one who could be right. behind the mask, right. and nobody, you know, it was came out of nowhere right, kind right. of person behind the mask. So, so what do you give this on the meatloaf scale? I'll definitely give it four slices of meatloaf. Um, it's 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 a beginning. There's a certain amount of exposition. There's a certain amount of I felt. Um, stretching to get all the characters into Mm. those two episodes Mm -hmm. like we could have definitely not seen asami and bolin in these fairly easily and it wouldn't have suffered too much um although you have to admit uh yeah bolin's new girlfriend bolin's new girlfriend why are you having conversations (laughs) oh who are those lovely ladies uh they're siblings and one of them's a boy (laughs) Which was really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I thought it was good. I don't know if I liked it as much as the first two episodes of the first season. Well, and and that's another thing that I've been thinking about a lot, which is that the first couple episodes of the first season of Legend of Korra were so novel. Like, well, you yeah, were they looking were at the world. Yeah, yeah, you were looking at the world of the of, of Avatar advanced that many years, so you were seeing like bending in a modern context like Mm -hmm. there were so many things that were like genius like every so now we're still in that world we haven't Mm -hmm. jumped forward nothing gigantic has changed right so we're not gonna get that big like (gasps) kind of like oh my god they have like everyone's a metal bender kind of situation yeah like we did last time the boys comment after we watched the second episode i'm like well we're gonna have to wait a week a week (laughs) so he really got a kick out of. oh yeah yeah. i i probably would have been in a three and a half slice but I can see a four. I mean, yeah. it's still really good. It's still really solid. Yeah, and that's the other thing that you have to consider is, you know, are you comparing it to other episodes of Legend yes. of Korra? Because then it might be lower. But if you're comparing it to 
any other cartoon. Oh my god! Then it's probably get seven <clears throat> slices of meatloaf, right? So somewhere oh, yeah. in there, it would, it would we be end like, up at four. Forget the slices. Just give me like twenty different uh, bread pans full of meatloaf. That's right, how good right. Cora is compared to Gumball oh, and yes. uh, Uncle Uncle Grandpa. Oh god! And um. What's the the mockingbird and the, uh, and uh, the regular the show? Regular show, man. I don't even know what Cartoon Network not, is thinking. Not the anymore. same genre, but if you look at action cartoons, definitely Legend of Korra can't be touched. No. What about Adventure Time? Adventure Time no. has a dog, and he's no, like doesn't even him, doesn't even made him snot. Or what's something. what's the flying buffalo's name? Appa. Appa. You couldn't even well, you couldn't even lick the hind side of Appa. Right. Uh, Adventure Time doesn't even. Come close to that, right? The Hoppa? also also kind of a different show, though. Well, yeah, true. Yeah, it's a different thing. Doesn't matter. Animation wise, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, this week, I picked up the Shadow Annual uh, 2013. This is out this week from uh, Dynamite Entertainment, written by uh, Andy Park. Um, some really good art by um, I don't even know how to pronounce this person's name. Billquist Evely. Oh, Billquist Evely. She is doing the art. On the Doc Savage series, I believe. Cool. Uh, that's coming out with Chris Roberson. We talked with him last week uh, on the Major Spoilers um, conversation show. Um, in this book, Lamont Cranston and Margot travel to Las Vegas. For some reason, it's really not made clear why they are being let out to a different hive of scum and villainy. Uh, but obviously, the Shadow doesn't like any bit of it. And he gets sucked into this uh, parlor. Um, women booze, drugs, gambling, whatever you want. It's the Flamingo. And um, meets an old love of, um, oh, what's his face? Um, Lamont Cranston's real name, Matthew. Lamont Cranston. No. Oh, the other guy, Kent Allard. Kent Allard. So he meets an old romance from World War One of Kent Allard. And uh, she still looks as young as she did in 1918. And this story takes place in 1947. I can't Ooh. believe I remembered that. I was I it was on the tip of my tongue, but I bit my tongue earlier, so it kind of got scraped off. Um, what? But she's got some magical hoodoo that she's doing uh, that keeps her young. <laughs> and the shadow is like, uh-uh, this is all wicked ways and you must pay. Um, and so uh, the shadow has to deal with an old love. And it's, it's real interesting. Uh, and then uh, they deal with mobster Bugsy Siegel. Which is also very interesting. It's a good 40-page book. The art kind of jumps back and forth. I think they try to do a good job of depicting the Shadow, Lamont Cranston, and Kent Allard all as the same person. And um, Allard's former love points out and says, yes, the face has changed, but it's the eyes that are the same. And if you go back, the eyes are very consistent um, throughout the book uh, for this character. So... The art is good. The story is good. I was a, kind of a little lit down by the uh, overall ending, and I have to go back and check up some uh, Wikipedia history on Bugsy Siegel, but it's a nice way to tie the shadow into historical events. I think he so, was played by Warren Beatty. So overall for me, the Shadow Annual 2013, worth picking up. I'm giving it three and a half slices of meatloaf. Good times, good times. What up, Holmes Killers? What up? Okay, Heroic Publishing is a, a company that we haven't featured a lot. They were quiet probably for the last six, eight months. They yeah. haven't been doing a lot, and they are back now. They are. With a brand new issue of Champions, issue number 59. Yes. 
Now here's the thing. Now is this I a wrestling? Champions. Is this a wrestling comic book? What's what's no. the deal with Champions? I bought Champions number one in uh, about 1985, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, "Hey, this is kind of cool." Champions, I believe, originally had some sort of ties to one of the role playing games. I'm not sure about oh, that, but okay. in any case, Champions is the story of a universe where there are superhero types oh. and. Dennis Maloney, who writes this issue, I believe is kind of the keeper of the champions universe. Mm. They have a guy, you know, who used to be the marksman, who's now the huntress or the huntsman. And there's a girl who used to be named the Rose, but now she's named the Psyche. A lot of times their characters sort of change names. And the champions book has a lot of interesting characters in it, which is why I was kind of frightened when I, I opened issue number 59, which I believe is due out in October. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it on a couple of and weeks. The cover is the Savage Tigress. I wow. like the tigress. Last time I saw the tigress, she had clothes. Uh, <laughs> this is this is the tigress doing a boobs and butt pose and looking very, you know, it's it's kind of uh, softly drawn and softly lit and soft corporeal oh, yeah, all yeah, at yeah. once. Yeah, yeah. Not happy with that. <laughs> so. I get to the first page of the issue, and there's a, a, a picture, and I'm like, okay, it's a different artist, but it's still the tigress, nearly naked, with very, very anatomically correct costume tightness. So at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm not even into the story itself, and I'm already off balance and a little confused. Because, you know, the book is is called Champions, and I mm-hmm. understand that. And I'm like, okay, Champions is good, and you can, do a, you can do a thing where you focus on one character. Notably, you'll see focus on Flair, who, I'm going to be honest with you, never cared for Flair. I find Flair to be not so interesting of a character. But I understand that she sells comics, especially, you know, when pretty girl comics are in. So I get, I, I get past that. I sit down, and I'm going to read the story. And it's about the Tigress. And the Tigress is fighting against an evil crime lord. And the crime lord's name is the Thugmaster. So yeah, I'm boy. good with that. I'm good with that. I like that. Well, the reason I asked about, about wrestling, because like last year, a year and a half ago, a lot of the wrestling guys were all tied in with the champions line. Do you remember that? I don't. Okay. So that's why I thought maybe they were bringing some of the uh, characters from the WWE or the WWF or the. Well, I know they had a WWE comics line through Titan published mm. a few years ago. Yeah, I don't know. But I don't know. I don't remember what you're remembering. So. I'll, I'll go look it up. But in any case, we find on the first page of actual story story that the Tigress's real name is Dr. Catherine Cat. Yeah. Artistically speaking, I'm looking at the art. The art is a little odd for me, and I can't figure out why at first. And then I realized there's a very thick outer line, as if everything is really thickly inked, like with a a Sharpie. And it's it's strange at first, and it's kind of off-putting. And then as you get into the book, it kind of works for me. There, you know, there's some issues with perspective. But as far as bodies go and faces go, even with that really thick outline, there's some really neat stuff going on. The facial expressions are really, really meaningful. There's a fight sequence with a character called Skylark that, while she is a woman in an incredibly tight, probably impossibly tight suit, 
is really well done. She's fully covered and it doesn't feel like it's, you know, hypersexualized. Mm-hmm. And then the tigress herself gets into a fight in a dress and it doesn't feel like it's super hypersexualized, which then makes me question why the cover was all penthouse forum and why, you know, the, the inside cover was even more so and, and kind of disturbing. But as we go through this story, it turns out the Thugmaster has some sort of grand designs. And at the end of the issue, the Tigress is carried away by an evil woman with a demon tail and wings, Uh-oh. both of whom are fully clothed what? and carried away to be continued. Then, of course, there's a follow-up, a backup story featuring a character called Sparkplug, who is actually Flair's baby sister. But before we get there, there are three or four pages of coming attractions. And in the coming attractions page... There's a lot more. There's a picture of Flair, you know, super nearly naked. And there's a picture of Psyche super nearly naked. And I'm like, I have no problem with super nearly naked. I know I have no problem with a comic book having those, you know, hypersexualized depictions in it. I just I'm not finding I'm finding a divide between that cover and what's actually in the book. You know, the only thing I would say on this is that. Mm. when people give Xenoscope a, a bad name for its covers, yeah, I mean, this is this they pale in comparison to what Heroic is doing with uh, yeah. with the half naked uh, flesh people. Oh dearie dear! The backup story I like a little more. The art is a little more traditional, mm-hmm. but in a good way. It's featuring Sparkplug, who is um, the daughter of a Nazi scientist. They do address it in the story. And the fact that she is the daughter of a Nazi scientist who got her powers from, you know, experiments or some such. Granted, it's the year 2013, and that carries a little weirder. But when I, you know, look at this second story, I understand it. It feels more like what I remember the champions Mm -hmm. being like in the 1990s. But then it feels almost too much like what I remember the champions being like in the 1980s and the 1990s. All told... The most disturbing thing is the next issue ad uh, featuring a superheroine called G-Girl. And O-M-G-Girl. G-Girl might as well be naked. And again, not a problem with that in theory, just not understanding what it has to do with the inside of the comics. It's, It's kind of a cognitive dissonance. The insides of the book are... Well, the first half is kind of, I would say, slightly above average. The The backup story is very average superhero fare. Neither of them are wild and crazy weird stuff, but neither of them are the flat-out porn that the covers make you expect. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if you were somebody looking for a comic that's sexy, sexy, you buy this based on that cover, you're going to be disappointed. If you If you're somebody who goes in, Wanting that superhero story, that punchy, fighty, fighty, here's a story, you know, that feels like an okay Marvel book from 1991. Then you're going to wonder with that cover, can you read it on the subway? And the answer is no, no, you can't. So, I mean, it's it's, it's really an issue of cognitive dissonance for me. I liked the story. I felt the book was okay. Mm-hmm. But I felt like the the packaging, the marketing of the characters and their universe is such that it kind of lowers it lowers my enjoyment of the book as weird as that sounds because i you know i get it again i'm not a person who rails against books i have comic books that are in fact 
flat out adult comic books featuring, you know, representations of super happy grown up fun time. I'm good with that. If you're over 18, you want to buy that. No judgment here. But the thing is, if you go into champions expecting that, you're going to be disappointed one way or the other. So all told, the book is about a three slice of meatloaf affair. The cognitive dissonance knocks it down to two and a half. So aside from the fact that it's been 30 years since issue one and we're now up to issue 59, which I kind of love, you know, you, you draw it, you make it, you put it out when you can. This is your thing, your labor of love. And I don't, I don't want to crap on anybody's labor of love because I do enjoy the Champions universe. This book kind of flattens out to being just kind of okay. Mm. I can see that. Which is a little disappointing to me because, you know, I remember being very impressed when Marvel was in a flat spot and DC was building up to the crisis or the one of the crises. And the, the books from Heroic being kind of different and kind of a bolt from the blue and thinking hey this fox bat guy i like this fox bat guy you know this this may have been 1986 1987 when everything was in flux but i don't know i I, i'm fascinated that heroic is still publishing comics 30 years later oh yeah they come and go like i said they just they were quiet for about six eight months now and then they just contacted me this week and said hey we're gearing up and we're starting again if that's not that thing where it's like hey we're making we're we're making this book. We also have a day job. Maybe. And when this book is ready, we'll put it out. Yeah. Definitely. Cool, cool. All right, listeners, you can head cool, over cool. to majorspoilers.com. Cool. You can check out a lot of reviews over there. Got sad news today, Rodrigo. What? Wasn't having a very good day to oh, begin no. with. Oh. And then as I'm getting up to go deal with somebody's tragic moment of the day. Uh-huh. Surus. The word you're looking for is Surus. I Step and hear a crunch. <gasps> I stepped on my your tweaked earbuds, audio my head. tweaked oh, audio oh, earbuds. Oh, no. Falling on the floor, crunch. And I was like, "Great, what am I going to listen to the rest of the day?" Picked them up. Yes, there's a crack in them. There's a little piece of plastic that I know is going to come off. But guess what? Still put them in my ear. Still sounded fantastic. Nice. But nice. because they've gone through the wash, right? Mm-hmm. Because I've stepped on them. Because the boy has played around with them. Right. I'm going to go get me a new pair of Tweaked Audio headphones from tweakedaudio.com. That's a good idea. They've got all these different styles and shapes and colors. They come with the, the microphone. I definitely love the ones with the microphone. Mm-hmm. have to get them with the microphone built in. Microphone headphones. Because <laughs> then I can be sitting at my desk. A phone call comes in. I can just go, hello, and have my conversation. And people walk in, and they're like, he's talking to himself again. Right. No, I'm having a phone conversation with these Tweaked Audio headphones. Yes. But here's Hello, the thing. Hello, Tweaked Audio headphones. How are you today? Here's the thing. When I go to tweakedaudio.com and I buy my new pair of, of headphones, uh-huh. I'm going to use the code MAJOR when I check out. I'm going to save 30% on my purchase. Whoa. That's a big deal. That is a big that deal. That is a big deal. And people looking for a, uh, what do we got? Holidays coming up. We got a birthday. Right. You got a bar mitzvah. Yeah. You've got a... Um, um, Turkey Day. Right. Oh, <laughs> wedding anniversary. Wedding anniversaries. Right. Oh, I've got a wedding anniversary coming up this Who's year. getting oh. bar mitzvahs? I don't know. <laughs> That's what I don't understand. But I'm just saying, I like, how, somebody... I like how he said, like, what holidays are we going to? Birthday, <laughs> bar mitzvah, wedding <laughs> anniversary. Like, Zach is finally Halloween. 13? That's what that's what should happen. You should give out a pair of tweaked audio headphones to, like, um, every 50th kid that comes to the door. Yeah. Candy for the rest. Right. Tweaked audio headphones for the grown-ups. 
and like canned vegetables for like canned the ones vegetables with crappy for costumes. The, exactly. Oh, and not Do just not give children canned vegetables. Just not just canned vegetables. No, don't give children canned vegetables because I'll put it through your window. Canned pumpkin, canned beets. Yeah, that's what you give the the crappy kid costumes. You're just asking someone to key your car with obscene words. Oh no, my car goes in the garage. But tweakedaudio.com, but they know the really, really good ones. <laughs> tweakedaudio.com. <laughs> Use the checkout code major, save 30%. We thank Tweaked Audio for their support. Stuff. <laughs> All right, let's get to the major spoilers. Speaking of kids. Keep it clean. Speaking of kids, let's get to the major spoilers poll of the week. It's time for the millions attendance <laughs> and the goyim on the show. <laughs> Sorry, I'm reclumped. Ah, it's the major spoilers poll of the week. <laughs> hey, this week it's smart kid battle time, Rodrigo. Oh, oh dear. Are you familiar with these kids? Are you familiar with the Dexter of uh, the Dexter's laboratory? Yes. And his uh, sister, Dee Dee? Right. Yeah. Uh, are you also familiar with this kid, Jimmy Neutron? Less so. But Less yes. so? Okay. What about you, Matthew? Are you familiar with these two little scientist children's? I, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm their best friends, but I, I know them. Are they smarter uh, than the average bear? Well, it depends on who the average bear is. I mean, if you're talking about a mean average or a median, <laughs> it does make a difference. Um, they're probably not smarter than Boo Boo, but Boo Boo is, is quite frankly a Machiavellian genius. I don't know, Matthew. Every time Boo Boo <laughs> says that, Yogi does it. Boo Boo is using the power of reverse psychology to get all the things he wants and blame it all on Yogi. I don't know if that's a good Boo-boo theory, is a Matthew. Boo Boo moves everyone around Jellystone Park. If you keep like talking this up, master. Rodrigo's not going to like this very much, Matthew. <laughs> Why does Rodrigo have to be the ranger? <laughs> Because he's the one that is the probably the most Let's level. Let's be the thing. hair bear bunch, and he can be the, the bear who speaks entirely in gibberish. There you go. So, the major spoilers poll of the week this week. Between these two kids, Dexter and Jimmy Neutron, which smart kid would outsmart the other? Rodrigo, go. I think that I think that Dexter would definitely outsmart Jimmy Neutron, but Dexter has a huge handicap. Which is? His Dee Dee? sister. Yeah. Yes. So... Sure. At the moment in which uh, victory would be his, Dee Dee would, <laughs> would screw things up for him. <laughs> I can see that. Matthew, what about you? Oh, I utterly disagree. Dee Dee is actually his secret weapon. But that's neither here nor there. I think that when you break it down, they're both smart children. And as Reed Richards and Dr. Doom have proven... Even if one seems to be smarter than the other, that doesn't mean that they can't effectively counter each other's schemes. So I think what it really breaks down to is a question of bastardry. Who is more likely to break the rules of common courtesy and or, I don't know, not you know nuking one another? And I feel like Dexter has an edge in that Dexter is not only really smart, Dexter can be, has been proven in fact, in his canonical adventures, to have a little streak of jealousy, to have a little bit more um, ruthlessness. I mean, if you look at what he what he does when he interacts with Mandark, Dexter can be a real little bastard, whereas Jimmy Neutron is kind of a, a slap-on-the-back weak sister to me. So I voted Dexter because Dexter seems more likely 
to um what's the word i'm looking for take it too far mm. <laughs> i can see that i, I voted for you know, jimmy jimmy neutron just because i thought that He's the one that looks at the situation and analyzes the situation and then comes up with the solution where mm. Dexter just seems to be rush at the moment. Ah, let me devise an evil scheme. DD. Um, Is that your Dexter voice? That's, that's my Dexter voice. Pretty good, right? Excellent. It's an excellent voice. Yeah. Um, Greg said, I don't think I've seen an episode of Jimmy Neutron voted for Dexter, but I may have to make a side argument for the Test Sisters. Um, mm. Oh, we haven't gotten to them yet. <clears throat> I have to vote Jimmy Neutron, says Blue Yonder, even though I think Dexter is a billion times cooler, but I think it's like watching a Reed Richards and Victor Von Doom fight on the playground. Dexter is way smarter than Jimmy Neutron, but like Doom, his ego will get the better of him. Hmm. Um, my vote goes to Dexter in his sweet, sweet laboratory. Or laboratory. Hmm. Mark says Dexter, he... What? Dexter, we know he grows up to be a blood splatter expert in Miami. Ah, okay, haha. Uh, it took me a minute to figure out what he's saying. <laughs> Uh, the Great NATO says, voted Jimmy Neutron. Jimmy can think way faster in his feet to get out of anything Dexter sends his way, and uh, and he has a sheen. Jimmy for the win. Kirby says, Dexter has more determination and once built a mecha, so he's got that going for him, which is nice. You know what I say. What's that? I say if Barry Ween gets involved, they're both dead. Yeah, well, we yeah, have a couple not. more weeks to go, and people have already thrown out a couple more names, like Johnny Test. Barry and Ferb. Well, his sisters. Oh, yeah, the test. Yeah, sisters. Johnny's an idiot. Well, Barry I'm just talking Ween. about the shows. Right, Phineas right. and Ferb, Bar Barry Ween. Barry Ween. Yeah. Have I mentioned Barry Ween? Head over to Majorspoilers.com, and listeners, you can cast your vote on which smart kid would outsmart the other. <laughs> Is it Dexter, who has no last name, or Jimmy Neutron? I thought his last uh, name was Lab. <laughs> no, it's Slab. <laughs> right. Dexter Slab. All right. It's right uh, there in the show. How has the uh, rest of the major Spoilers Nation voted so far, Matthew? 76% of the Spoiler Nation, 161 votes in the bag, saying Dexter. Only 24% voting Jimmy Neutron. Uh, and 12% saying Barry Ween would kill them both. Yeah, but See, the thing that Barry Ween, would, Barry Ween would start talking and Jimmy See, Neutron would freak out and have to go have look Barry up all Ween those words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is sad polls. because it would have yeah. been nice. It would have been nice. It's 126%. Why don't we take a quick break? When we come back, the killing joke. <laughs> Greetings and salutations, major spoilers. It's me, Cat Halo, back again. Things have been pretty crazy in the cat house of late, but I've still managed to catch a couple of movies. Admittedly, the main one I'll talk about has been out for quite a while in the States. Pain and Gain. I really wish I didn't like this movie, but, but I did. It's crap. It's really, really bad. The story is ludicrous. It's a real case of truth being more unbelievable than fiction plus it has everything that is terrible about a michael bay movie but the rock is brilliant just brilliant he gives an actual performance not just a grunting man mountain like he gives in the fast movies of gi joe this guy is dumb but incredibly sweet and most importantly hilarious he really delivers the laughs his knockout of tony Tony Schlub could well be the greatest moment in movie history. I really can't recommend this movie except for The Rock's utter brilliance. This could well be my newest guilty pleasure, but it is still, at most, a slice and a half of meatloaf. Now, onto this week's trade, The Killing Joke. I had somehow never managed to read this before, so I read it and loved it. It's brilliantly written in dialogue and story. The Joker is truly, really twisted. The stuff he does to Commissioner Gordon is mean, to say the very least. 
problem is I didn't love his backstory stuff. The art is great, with iconic panels littered throughout, and I liked the clever nods to Batman's history. The other thing I noticed, though, was that the, the, the panel size has changed. The Batman panels are sort of nine per page, and the Joker panels are bigger at six per page. I think it's kind of cool. And this book really influenced Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight, particularly the interrogation scene, most notably the panel of Batman pulling the fake Joker across the table. That shot is used in the movie. As to the Morrison controversy, eh, I don't know. Maybe. Like, I doubt I'd have read it that way had I not heard him say it on Batman on Batman before I read the book. So, you know, I don't know. It's certainly an impossible interpretation. I have another question, though. If this story was originally intended to be out of continuity or out of canon, how did Barbara's paralysis get worked into the greater Batman universe? And that's about it, I reckon. Um, if you're interested, you can like me on the Facebook, Cat Halo Movies, and follow me on the Twitter, at Cat Halo Movies. Cheers, guys. Take care. Have a great week. Thank you for that, Cat Halo. And listeners, if you want to be part of the Major Spoilers podcast, all you need to do is call us at the Major Spoilers hotline. Matthew, that number is... 785-727-1939, the major spoilers. I'm not going to do an Irish accent because it's probably offensive to Cat Halo and, quite frankly, anyone who is, was, or is planning to be Irish. You can also send us an email, podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Check us out on Twitter, at Majorspoilers. Those are a lot of ways that you can send us feedback about our various shows. You can also check us at Fearsome Critter and well, or yes. at Mighty King Cobra, if which is in are... and of itself a Fearsome Critter. Yes. Um, we are going to be talking about The Killing Joke, and if you haven't picked up your copy of The Killing Joke, might I suggest you head over to Majorspoilers.com, you click on that Amazon.com link, that'll mm -hmm. take you over to the store, you can buy your Killing Joke, you can buy your Hush, you can go buy your Long Halloweens, you can go Batman vs. Hellboy, Batman vs. Okay. Superman, Dark Knight Returns, your, your Watchmen, uh, DK2, uh, Giant Glow in the Dark Edition. All of that stuff can be bought at Amazon.com, same great price, same delivery methods, however you choose. A little bit comes back our way and helps us keep the lights on for yet another week. The Killing Joke, Rodrigo. Yes. 1988. Brian Eight. Bolin. Brian Bolin on art and Alan Moore writing the tale of... Um, well, Lettering by uh, Richard Starkey, who uh, later changed his name to Ringo Starr. Oh, well, so we might as well get this out of the way right now. Uh, two yes. different colorists on uh, over time on this. In the original release of Batman mm -hmm. the Killing Joke, uh, the uh, colorist was John Higgins. John Higgins was the person who did the coloring on the Watchmen series. Right. If you go out and you buy Batman the Killing Joke, the deluxe edition, it's Brian Bolin doing the coloring, and he has redone the coloring from uh, Higgins' work from 1988. Uh, so yes. there is a, a huge difference. So it's really going to be dependent on which book you're looking at. Fortunately, yes. I bought the Batman to Killing Joke when it was originally released. <laughs> and I also got the hardcover collection of the Davis. So we've got access to both copies mm -hmm. of uh, The Killing Joke, and we can compare the art side by side. And it is really night and day difference here. It really is. And more than just the art, before we get into the story, I, I said this right before the show. I never realized until this reading how much of a case of Watchmen envy the original coloring job was. Yeah, when did Watchmen come out? 1987 in that neighborhood. Okay. I think it was set in 85 and came out in 86 and into 87 because there was a delay. So the last issues of Watchmen would have been on the stands roughly contemporaneous 
to the killing joke, uh, you know, within six months, either direction, I want to say. Okay. So yeah, there would have been a reason to have uh, Higgins jump on board this one shot by Alan Moore, uh-huh. Alan Moore, big name, right? Alan Moore just did the watchman. watchman. Yeah. He might as well bring some other people over with him. I think Alan Moore uh, also wrote uh, Batman, uh, the dark Knight returns. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what, are, what are, what are you noticing there in the differences with your, your coloring Rodrigo? Um, it's weird because in one of them, like Batman is purple and he's got lightning bolts on it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's just like a repaint they did <laughs> to, yeah. to sell the same that, action figure. Yeah. again. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Yeah. I he just find the, it. He had a talking bat luge, which I think, you cool. know, when this book came out, I, I did notice that, oh yeah, there's a lot of orange and yellow yeah. and, but again, to me in that time period, it didn't seem too weird because right. a lot of stuff that was going on in uh, Legends of the Dark Knight and a lot of the DC books kind of had this same vibe. Not exactly. Right. Because, I mean, the cult was very much different. It's almost, if you were to well, compare the cult. The cult like five years later. Too. Right. But, I mean, if you're comparing the cult with <laughs> this book and then what Boland did with the recoloring, the cult yeah. is more in line with the recoloring of, sure. of that. But, you know, there well, were I these things. That, well, like when did Holy Terror come out? Oh, not until the 90s. 93. I seem to remember that one being also kind of weirdly bright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah. it had a lot of stained glass and stuff. It seemed like it was more bright for contrast mm-hmm. rather than this, which I think is just this is the way that comics were at that point. Right. I, I do remember the the big scene, and we'll get to it with Barbara Gordon opening the door at just yeah. being, wow, look at the color that is all over the page with this. Yeah, look at how bright it was. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was a, originally published in what they called their deluxe format. Yeah, it was a, it was a prestige deluxe, what we would know yeah, as a prestige, prestige format, format today. And I believe that the paper stock it was heavier was super super heavy. And I wonder mm-hmm. if they did try and really you know play up the coloring and try and play with their printing and their coloring techniques. This would have been after flexographic printing, thank God, because flexographic made my brain hurt. I didn't know it until like five years later. And then they're like, this is what happened. I'm like, oh my God, that's why my eyes were bleeding. I guess at the time, one of the things that I was more considerate of was because a lot of the flashbacks get the really trippy carrot colors. And anytime uh-huh. the Joker is involved, you're looking at really trippy colors. So I yeah. guess in my mind, I'm just attributing it to this is how the Joker is seeing the world. In fact, there's one line where he says, oh, sometimes I remember my past this way. Sometimes I remember it another way. I just can't remember right. anymore, which is and a nice kind have of a out. Past, I love it being multiple choice. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I think that, that's terrific. a really nice out for Alan Moore to not say that this is the definitive origin of well, this, the Joker. This thing was an Elseworlds kind of thing anyway, wasn't it? Wasn't it wasn't. This was before Elseworlds. Right. This was a book that supposedly was not in continuity. Right. But we all know that a few years later when Birds of Prey pop up and when Oracle appears... It's Barbara Gordon who's been shot in the spine by the Joker. Right. But See, still, but the, the entire problem, book... Spoiler warning, people. The entire book can't be in continuity. That's what... Because so, of how it ends. But, but it right. was. Yeah, when no, no. When this out, book came out, this was just a one-shot. This was not part of continuity. A Batgirl special, roughly the same time, mm-hmm. to tie up Batgirl's story before mm-hmm. the killing joke. And then the killing joke was, in fact, I believe, designed to be in continuity. I remember this because they immediately dealt, well, not immediately, but they dealt with the thing. And then, of course, 
she became Oracle in Suicide Squad circa 91. That, that's but, not how I remember it in, in that this was supposed to just be a one-shot story of of uh, of this. That it wasn't supposed to be in continuity. It wasn't an Elseworlds tale. It was just a story. Um, I don't know. I was really young at the time. Yeah. Th- but here's the thing. So the reason why we're reviewing this book now and the why it's you know kind of popped up front and center is because mm-hmm. of a comment that Grant Morrison made over on Fat Man on Batman, Kevin Smith's podcast that's all about Batman. I don't know why we don't have a podcast that's all about Batman. Um, because um. <laughs> because the name Fat Man on Batman was already taken. Right. And there's also the fact that any podcast you're in is kind of about Batman. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> Whatever. Bite me. Um, <laughs> but uh, Grant Morrison made this revelation that at the end of the story, this is the last Batman story. Yeah. This is where Batman... Um, finally has had it with the Joker's zaniness mm-hmm. and on the very last, well, not the last, well, yeah, it is the last page of the story. Yes. Um, the Joker's telling him a, a book, uh, a joke and Batman starts to laugh and then he grabs the Joker around the neck and according to Grant Morrison kills him. Right. And that's, that's not how I ever read the, oh, really? the story. That's, no. And, that's... and a lot of people are like, and that's why so many people are picking up on this Grant Morrison story now is because, oh my gosh, None of us, or many of us, did not read it that way. We read it as, the police are coming, and they've been taken away. The end. Right. 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 But with Morrison, as you read it uh, in this version, you can very much see, with that interpretation, that, yeah, that's what's going on, is is possibly this killing. Right. And this is the thing. This is the very important thing. The story intentionally ends with ambiguity, mm-hmm. allowing the reader to make their own interpretation. And God right. love Grant Morrison. The man is brilliant, and he has written some really good comics. And I think because he wrote Batman and because he is a well-respected, may not be the word, but at least a, a notable comics creator, I think people are looking at this and saying Morrison's interpretation is or isn't the canonical interpretation and i think it doesn't matter i i don't think that grant morrison's interpretation but first of all correct or incorrect i don't think it changes the story it kind of does for me and then i started reading it again now rodrigo said you viewed this as yeah and it's and again as it's right there in the title the killing joke right? right it's the joke that he told that ended up getting him killed right i mean i yeah i absolutely at the end um because, I mean, it's all what, what I figured the I guess the ambiguity comes from the fact that it's like I felt it was trying to be to not be graphic. Right. Mm-hmm. To be like, OK, well, the Joker gets killed. Just saw Barbara get shot in the spine. Right. You you thought they were doing the, But he thought they were doing the classic oh, okay. pull away from the kill shot. The gore okay. discretion. Yeah. 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 And. You can definitely. I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't mean they were trying to be classy. <laughs> I mean they were just because you know it's a well documented fact that yeah. your brain fills in mm-hmm. things, you know, and and makes it a lot more vibrant a lot mm-hmm. of times. So that's what I figured right. they were doing. Mm-hmm. And okay. I think that that that's an entirely legitimate sort of thing. It it really is up to the reader, the you know the legendary, the eye of the beholder, to Rod Serling it to death even though I know Rod certainly didn't invent that phrase, please stop sending me letters. I think that the beauty of this story is that you can read it that way if you want to. 
And you can read it differently if you don't want to. I never want to because, to me, there's a point halfway through the story where Gordon has been tortured. Right. He's been beaten. There's a very strong implication of sexual, um, at least, misadventure. He has been stripped naked by three dwarves who are touching all Which, over him. When, when this book came out, I was creeped out yes. when when I read the when I read those pages with the creepy dwarves and the naked Gordon yes. at the circus. I was just like, Ugh, I'm going to skip these pages completely- quickly. Yeah, they've emasculated this character. They've they've certainly beaten him, possibly victimized him, forced him to look at pictures of his own daughter shot to, you know, theory, possibly shot to death, lying in a pool of blood naked. And he still says, bring him in by the book. Right. We have to show him that our way works. Right. So when you get to the end of this story, you have Batman making a choice. Mm-hmm. And to my mind, it's more satisfying in a way if Batman listens to Gordon. And even though those last three panels, you see the close up of their feet mm-hmm. and you hear the Joker. Actually, that's not the Joker's laugh. That's the the sirens. Yeah, the sirens are coming you see up. The sirens and then the sirens stop and they're pulling back and they pull back mm-hmm. and you see Well, actually, well, it's not so much you're pulling back as your time is passing. Because the rain is filling in the ground where they were standing just moments ago is or it? a while ago. It looks to me like a Or maybe pan. it's a tilt down. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, a tilt rather than nothing. Pan. I haven't been behind a camera in 10 years. But it's, it's also a perspective thing because there's no real camera in case you're one of those people who hates it when we talk about the imaginary camera. But for me, there's always a to, camera. When you get to the end of this story, and maybe it's just the way I like to read my comics. I feel like Batman choosing to kill the Joker for what has happened goes against the internal logic of the story. Because the story is all about the Joker kind of trying to explain his origin du jour. Mm-hmm. All it takes is one bad day. All it takes is one bad day, and you had a really bad day, Commissioner Gordon. Wah ha ha ha. But it gets to the point where that one bad day didn't break Jim Gordon. Seeing his daughter tortured, being tortured himself by a madman, thinking that he may die, thinking that his daughter has died, did not make him give up on what he believes about the universe, did not break him, did not make him crazy. Mm-hmm. And Batman, as much as says to the Joker, he's fine. Maybe it's just you. Right. If Batman gets to the end of this story and breaks the Joker's neck, yeah, I can definitely see it being satisfying as kind of a cathartic moment for me, the reader. And I can see it being something, especially for someone who has the story sense that Grant Morrison does, seeing that as being a desirable ending, seeing that as being a good ending. But it kind of goes against the way I read that story, which is to say the Joker is trying to say, you could be crazy too. I'm not, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm just somebody who had a bad day. And Batman's response is, no, you you had a bad day and you're crazy. Yeah. And having Batman kill somebody at the end of that moment I feel like it kind of invalidates that whole point and it makes it feel. Well, no, I, I, I see where you're coming from, because when I originally read this, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. the police pulled up. And again, this is 18 year old, 1988. Mm-hmm. The right. police pull up. He leads him away. That's the end of that story. 
But now listening to Morrison's interpretation and reading it again, Mm -hmm. there are a couple of things that make me say, wait a minute, this isn't just the last Batman story. This is Alan Moore writing the last Silver Age Batman story. Because if you go in there, there's there's a picture that the when uh, Batman's looking at the Joker's card, uh, the Joker card, he sets it down and then there's a picture of the Silver Age Bat family. Right. uh, That's there. Batman's driving around in the late golden age, early silver age Batmobile yeah. with the big head on the front. With, with the, the Joker, the Joker is, um, especially when they're going through the carnival ride, looking at the big kind of over the top uh, props right. that the Joker mm-hmm. would use in the silver age. So to me, this was in the second reading with the with the Morrison glasses on. I'm saying, oh, this is the last silver age Batman story. Mm. So maybe not. What were you going to say, that, Rodrigo? That definitely has a thing to it. Um, see, I thought I did, like, I saw this as the last, I, I without even being told, I figured this was meant to be kind of like a last Batman story. But I figured the whole point of the story is that this is when the Joker wins, mm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, I thought, I mean, I agree with Matthew. If Batman kills the Joker at the end, then he proves the Joker's point. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the point of the book. The point of the book. Right. Batman kills the Joker. The Joker wins because he says, I was a normal person and then I had a terrible day and that's all it takes. Right. And then it yeah, didn't Batman. break Jim Gordon um, because Jim Gordon may be a better man than Batman. You know, but Batman just wasn't having it anymore. And really, you can even say that the torture of Jim Gordon was not for commissioner gordon it was for batman, for batman. Mm-hmm. he yeah. shoots the girl he tortures the guy and he, he does yes he does that to break batman not to break the gordon family which he probably own which he really only partially cares about because they're involved with batman i guess the question that i had when reading this was oh does the joker know at this point i think he does who barbara gordon is yeah. does he know that this is batgirl or is it just doesn't matter who opened the door. I was going to shoot him in the gut anyway. It just think, happened that I know that she's at home with the father. I think that reading right. necessitates it. I think with that reading, if you read it as this is the Joker trying to get to Batman, mm-hmm. then he would have to know. Um, if but you don't you read it that way, if you read it as him trying to get to Gordon, then he wouldn't have to know. Mm-hmm. I read it as him trying to get to Gordon simply because she's at Gordon's house. house. No, she's at her house because her friend was coming over for yoga. Okay, so he's at her house. Yeah. Okay. And I think, but when you read it, he actually makes a remark, something about uh, how this is, you know, designed. Uh, What is it? Hang on. He never actually says it. And there's, you know, something else about the ambiguity. I didn't notice this until I, I, somebody pointed it out. Uh, The word Batman is never uttered in this book. Mm Mm-hmm. The word Joker is never uttered in this book. You see the Joker's name on something, and you see people talk about that that guy who dresses like a bat, that bat vigilante guy. But nobody actually ever says Batman and the Joker. Mm-hmm. So having the Joker know that she's Batgirl and not address it would fit perfectly into the weird, you know, the weirdness of this story. But I think that oh. That's Furthermore, like, well, that scene where he shoots her, I thought was very strange because it's like he shoots her and then he starts making all these jokes about how she's paralyzed. And I was like, man, the Joker is a freaking surgeon with a pistol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he went yeah. in with the intent of severing her spine, shot her through the front. Right. 
and severed her spine and then had all this material prepared. He's just that good. He's just that crazy. I, I guess. Well, Makes me wonder why he doesn't just like randomly shoot people like since he's apparently a marksman. Well, Sometimes. I mean, you're that close with a gun pointing at someone's gut. Still yeah, severing the sick. spine. Pretty impressive. Yeah. And when you when you really break this down, there's a couple of things in it that are unnerving without realizing they're unnerving. And one of those is the fact that the characters aren't addressed by name. One of those is the fact that it opens with Batman going to the asylum and mm-hmm. trying to open a dialogue with Joker mm-hmm. and saying, I came to talk. I'm afraid that one of us is going to kill the other. And I wanted to make sure that we had made an attempt to talk about this. Right. And I think that that really supports your theory of last Batman or last Silver Age Batman story. But I realized that as we're talking, part of the interpretation of the ending may be tied to the expectation of whether or not it's in continuity. Oh, yeah. Because my assumption that this is an incontinuity Batman story carries with it a little bit of, you know, a little bit of baggage, for lack of a better word, to where I presume that, you know, they're not going to kill Commissioner Gordon. Well, and they're not going to kill the Batgirl. Yeah, and it's true the other way around because I went into this thinking that it wasn't in continuity. So I was like, oh yeah, at the end Batman kills the Joker. Batman mm-hmm. is Batman is now the Joker. That's yeah, this, that's what this, this was, mo- that's what this is saying. Okay, this, good. This was never supposed to be in continuity. Yeah, it just it just wasn't. They just moved it into that when they introduced Oracle in in Birds of Prey. Well, regardless, they immediately right. put out a Batgirl special. That came out before dealt- that came out before which dealt with cleaning up the characters' ties in the DC universe. I'm telling you, this this had an intention. It came out right after Crisis on Infinite Earths. It was not identified in any way as being an Elseworlds. Let me ask you this. Well, no, because Elseworlds hadn't existed yet. Right, well, but, but they had imaginary girl, stories right. and stuff. That girl right. went away in preparation for this story. Um, there has been some critique of the scene where Barbara gets shot. Um, mainly that is that this is misogynistic, that this is just more being a sadist, um, and having no regard for women. It's, it's brutal. I, I don't know that it's misogynistic so much as it is generally hateful to humanity. The fact that, well, I mean, if we look at, at what happens immediately afterwards, the fact that it's Barbara Gordon who gets shot doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily serve anything as far as it being a female character. I mean, Batman isn't any less or any more angry that Batgirl has been shot mm-hmm. and he is about Commissioner Gordon being captured and possibly brutalized. And Gordon is brutalized. He's beaten. He's tortured. He's, I mean, he is as, he's treated as quasi inappropriately mm-hmm. as Barbara in this story. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I bring that up and let me read this quote. This is from Jeffrey A. Brown, author of Dangerous Curves, Action Heroines, Gender, Fetishism, Fetish, Fetishism, and popular culture from 2011. He says the killing joke is an example of quote, inherent misogyny of the male dominated comic book industry in light of the relatively unequal violence, female characters are subject subjected to 
While male characters may be critically injured or killed, they are more than likely to be returned to their original uh, conception, while women, on the other hand, are more likely to be casually but irreparably wounded, such as when Barbara Gordon, uh, Barbara Gordon's spine is shattered by the Joker just for the fun and has been restricted to a wheelchair for over a decade now. Now, this was before Barbara got to walking again. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting point. I'd yeah. say there's, there's definitely validity to it, but I, I think that this story specifically, uh, the, the the treatment of the character afterwards, definitely. But I think this story specifically isn't necessarily about the misogyny. It isn't necessarily about Batman rushing in to save the poor, weakless, squishy little girl. Mm-hmm. I think that... I. That's another reason, actually, why I think that he, the Joker, in my mind, doesn't know that Barbara is Batgirl. Because if he was going to hurt Batman through one of the Bat family, the ideal would be to hurt his actual son, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, Robin. Mm -hmm. And I think that Barbara was something to get at Gordon. I don't know, man. Not necessarily to get at this it back. time, though, Robin Robin's, was not around, right? Robin, I mean, Robin was dead at this point. Robin's come and go, but there's always Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, if yeah. you want to hurt That's Batman, true. you hurt his bro. Yeah, yeah. And, and Nightwing and, was around. And if you're gonna, if you're going to terrorize Commissioner Gordon, you do it by you hurt his hurt family. his hurt his family. Right. Now, do you, what do you think about this this quote? Do you have some thoughts on that or or not? I think or? it's a I think it's a valid reading. I think mm-hmm. and I think it's true. I think very often um, female characters are scarred or like branded, right, right, broken. Yeah, yeah. In, in a lot of ways. Um, and and, and more although than that just happens, by violence. yeah, and although that happens with male characters, a lot of the times the male characters do come back from the dead or mm-hmm. get their legs back or whatever. Right. Um, more frequently. And I think the reason for that is that a lot of writers are actually are male and don't know how to write a woman. So it's like, oh, good. She's in a wheelchair. I can write that as opposed and, to, you know, what 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 am what am girls? Right. And the same thing can be said about, well, specifically the adventure or the the thing that pops into mind is Power Girl. Mm-hmm. Power Girl's character over the last 15 or 20 years has become Girl with the Huge Knobs. Power Girl's character since about 1997 or 98 has overtly dealt with the fact that the character is in and out of universe defined as the Girl with the Huge Knobs. And I think that that's kind of the same thing, that same fetishism, for lack of a better word, that he was discussing there in terms of the female characters getting sidelined or being, you know, treated to the violence and the violence being more severe or more long lasting, I think is the same thing. It's, we have to define that character somehow. And just saying this character is a woman, not necessarily a definition, but this character is the woman who was crippled by the Joker and is now a hero despite of that, or Mm -hmm. the woman who, you know, is known for having the biggest bosoms in the DC universe you have that thing that gives them a hat, for lack of a better word. 
uh, over at um, over at Wikipedia, they've got a bunch of quotes and 2006 interview with Wired magazine. Alan Moore, who was critical about his uh, was also qu- critical about his decision to cripple ba- uh, Barbara Gordon. I asked DC if they had any problem with me crippling Barbara Gordon, who was Batgirl at the time. And if I remember, I spoke with Lynn Wine or Lynn Ween, who was our editor on the project. And he said, quote, yeah, OK, cripple the bitch. Now, that's what. He says that that uh, Lynn had said right. wow. it was probably one of the areas where they should have reined me in, but they didn't. And I've I've actually heard that quote before. The only thing that I would say is, I I like Len's work, mm-hmm. and Len is one of those creators in comics who has done a lot of really good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that looking at this and saying, well, X, Y, and Z about that. My bias about who Len Wein is leads to me, you know, having a, a different belief about that story and not necessarily wanting to believe sure, that. Sure, sure, well, sure. Even if the, even if the story say, is true, he still wrote it. And this is the yeah, thing. Yeah. I can say that DC in 1987-88 is very much equivalent to DC circa 2011-2012. They've come off of a big, world-spanning attempt to make everything relevant again, to make the characters which had felt stale, which had kind of fallen by the wayside. The sales were down. People were saying Superman is boring, Batman is boring, whatever it is. They were willing to take wacky, wacky kind of leaps of faith and do things that you wouldn't normally expect from them. I mean, they had killed The Flash. They had killed Supergirl already by this point. So they were willing to take these wild, wild leaps of faith and say, hey, Love me, I'm DC for lack of mm. mm-hmm. and I think there's a you know there's a definite thing where, yeah, my mind can think about what was happening at DC in '88. Uh, they were really getting to the point where Vertigo was starting to launch. '88 was the year where they were doing lots of things to try and you know the expanding the genres. You had a lot more weird science fiction. You had some swords and sorcery going on. You had '88. I think was the year of Slash Maraud, which is one of the greatest awful series I've ever read. And I love that book, but it was something where they were really trying to get some traction. They were trying to change the industry forever mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever you call it. And I think that I can look at that and say, Alan Moore comes in and has this story. Alan Moore, who is doing Watchmen, which even then is a massive success, mm-hmm. a huge success and saying, Hey, can I do this? I can say, you know, tongue in cheek, yeah, cripple the bitch. I can definitely see that. I can see yeah. them being willing to take that kind of a of a risk to try and get some, you know, some lack of a better word, some buzz going. Sure. Get people interested in what well, felt this like was, a moribund. Kind if of I remember, this was one of the first kind of prestige format books that they had. And I remember yeah. as a, you know, Kid that didn't have a job plunking down a lot of money for this. Mm-hmm. What was it? Six ninety five. It was like it had to be a six or seven dollar book at the time. I think it was a five ninety five because I've been selling them these last couple of weeks. We had a bunch come in, and I keep putting it up on the wall, and people keep buying it. Well, I'm sure because of the more than likely because of the Morrison comment and how that went around. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I guess I just looked at this not from a um, he man woman haters club point of view, but that the Joker is just seriously messed up and he's going to do whatever he wants, however he wants. Yeah. And you know, it's, whatever it takes kind of mentality. It's there if you want to find it. Yeah. 
And I think that's kind of, well, that's kind of the point of anything you read. It's I appreciate kind of, reading the arguments, uh, you know, yeah. on both sides of it. I, I really do. Um, but I just, I guess it just never. Well, and the, really the thing about it is that it fits into a trend mm-hmm. rather than yeah. necessarily it being a clear example of it. Right. When you see right. it surrounded by other comic books of the time and other current comics, mm-hmm. uh-huh. it, it, it fits into a trend mm-hmm. and that's what ends up being disturbing about it. So on its own, you can always argue yes or no, but mm-hmm. the issue is the trend. I think right. I also like the recolored version better. It's just more I, moody. I kind of do and I kind of don't because there are parts of it like the choice to do the flashbacks in black and white with uh, with Luminate the red color mm-hmm. stick out the what do they call that a uh, uh, pop color or something. I love that. That I think is well done, but it's also it it, it also kind of changes the immediacy of those portions of the story for me. The one coloring choice that i do 100 percent get behind that is horrifying and perfect in the original the joker falls into the acid vat as the red hood right and he comes up and you see him and he opens his eyes and he's laughing and it's horrifying in the new version he's bleeding from both eyes yeah 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 because he's got acid in his face mm. and that is horrifying just mm-hmm. utterly horrifying and so wonderful and perfect and disturbing and, and awful. And I don't ever want to look at it again, but I can't look away. I love that choice. There are a lot of really good choices, but there are some points, especially in the early going where the coloring, I don't know, maybe classes the joint up too much. Maybe. Yeah. If that makes sense. I mean, there, there are points where I like the old coloring better. Mm-hmm. as 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 garish as some of it could be i'm just flipping back and forth as we're talking and just looking at them and, and you know i can i can get behind the original coloring because i obviously was the first time but then again when you look at this the new coloring and there were some yeah. slight uh art changes as well but yeah. it's just really it's really a night and day difference and really shows just like if we're talking in film mm-hmm. how we can color a scene and really change the mood and the interpretation of that you get the same thing going on here as well. And so it's really interesting and really fascinating to look at. If you do get the deluxe version, you get a backup story. What's it called? The man who killed Batman. Um, it's where yeah, it's a, it's a Batman black and white issue. I want to say, Oh, is it because it's color? I remember, I remember having seen it before and I think it was in Batman black and white. But if you ever want to see Batman take a bullet through the head, there's, there's a shot of it in there for you. So I'll uh, go check also, that out. During the battle, the Joker sticks his fingers in the eyes of Batman's mask and rips his mask down, Mm -hmm. which is something that should have happened long before 1988 (laughs) and is so wonderful, but also awful because then it calls into question that moment of why hasn't somebody done this before in the last 50 years of Batman? And more importantly, how are we going to deal with the fact that now this is, you know, this is either in continuity or a known tactic mm-hmm. at the very least of how do you keep that from happening again? Well, clearly Batman's going to implement more bobby pins. Yes, there you go. There you Rodrigo, go. what do you not like about this book? What do I not like about this book? I, the thing that I don't like about this book is kind of this book. Like, generally speaking, it doesn't do much for me. But I mean, I started reading comics when I started reading comics. This had already happened. Right. 
Right. And I understand that it's important for Batman's trajectory, mm-hmm. but I kind of also don't like Batman's trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after the 80s and into the 90s and 2000s and 2010s now, like right. I, I don't like the way that Batman has gone. Mm-hmm. And I see this book as one of the one of the points uh, along that graph. Um, there's nothing like I don't have any real issue with the book itself. Um, in fact, I was surprised to see a book in which Batman is like, hey, the Joker, let's talk this out. Like, that's probably the most surprising thing to me and something that I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, um, I think that it is just not the kind of story that I would like want to go out and read. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, again, I recognize its importance in, in Batman history, but I'm I was really just. I, I, it's hard to put my finger on it, but I'm just generally not impressed by it. Mm. I, I was very disturbed by it when I read it originally. I mean, it legitimately mm-hmm. creeped me out because right. of the amount of violence that was going on in here. And this was before I'd ever read The Watchmen. The Watchmen I wouldn't read for another two or three years. Um, the creepy the creepy um, people at the circus with mm-hmm. their bulging eyes and the stripping of Gordon just... And then, of course, the Joker, because you don't see a Joker this maniacal the way that Boland draws. This book just disturbed me for a long time and I read it and it took me a long time before I would sit down and read it again. And I would bet in the uh, 20 plus years that this book has been out, I bet I've read it four times Mm -hmm. in that time. Um, I think my favorite part of the book is when the Joker is recounting his life, even though you know it's could be very much imaginary. Um, and of course, then the importance of Barbara Gordon and what happens to her and let's put her, put her in a wheelchair um, as Oracle. You know, I see that as well. I think this is an important book and I would recommend it for pe- for people to read. Um, but it's still disturbing yeah. and it, and it bothers me um, still today. I mean, I can look at it. Um, I like it if I'm looking at this as this is the last Batman of the Silver Age story. Yeah. I, I wonder what happens after that final panel. Just because do the police kill Batman because he just killed the Joker? Does the Batman turn himself in? You know, what happens? There's a lot of ambiguity in there. Um, there's another cool kind of art thing that Cat Halo pointed out was that every page that features Batman by himself is done in a nine panel layout where every Joker page or nearly every Joker page is a six panel layout and a variation on that, hmm. which is an interesting, an interesting, uh, way to help tell that story. So interesting. Matthew, bottom line for you. I agree with Rodrigo's statement that this is a book that reading uh, the book itself is historically important. And I think that's, Honestly, the main reason to read this, it's kind of like my opinion of Watchmen. Um, similar writer, of course, but Watchmen was something that tried to change everything that went before. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, unfortunately, English is my 13th language. What actually it became was a template for some of the worst comics of the following decade and a half. And this is very similar to that. This is one of the places where the current unstoppable, cold, heartless, uh, get out of my head, Batman came from. And from the perspective of reading it again, this is the first time I would like to point out 
that I have read this as a parent. Mm. And the sequences with Gordon are horrifying and oh, were yeah, horrifying yeah. to me as an 18-year-old, 17-year-old. But the sequences with Gordon as a parent of a female girl child are just unbelievably unpleasant and awful. And I kind of skimmed them because I do remember them. I remember, I remember panel for panel, some of this book. And I just, I don't want to, I don't want to read that. I don't want to see that. And I like the fact that the Joker seems to have backstory here, Mm -hmm. but I hate the fact that that backstory has become a little too institutionalized. I love the fact that Joker specifically is kind of a, a person and they admit this in comics. Sometimes you wake up and you have a multiple choice personality, whether, whether you're a killer, whether you're a madcap wackaloon, whether you're just a, a cunning strategist, you wake up and you decide this is the Joker I am today. I love that, but I also realize and hate that because it comes from the realization that hundreds and hundreds of people can't really get the character straight. So mm-hmm. as a story, as a single unrelated story with no ramifications, I really kind of love this book while I hate it. (laughs) And as part of the DC universe, I really hate this book while I love it. So in keeping with the ambiguity of whether he did or didn't know whether he did or didn't kill, whether Batgirl was Batgirl or not Batgirl, I love and hate this story. Do you recommend it to other people? Uh, People that I love or hate. What about you, Rodrigo? Uh, I would say wiki it. Yeah, I will say this, and this is something that I didn't catch until I was doing a little research. Somebody made a big deal about Batgirl appearing naked. And I don't actually see Batgirl naked necessarily in the book. And then I realized as I was reading it, there is one tiny, tiny panel where you can see Batgirl topless from about the shoulder to the bottom of the rib cage. Mm. And I'm like, if if that's what you're going in for, don't read this book and also yeah. don't talk to me because you scare me. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can uh, share your thoughts in the comments section. Who's our uh, who's leading uh, as of this recording for the month of our wonderful uh, commenters? Our major spoilers commenter number one. At a grand total of 39, if 39, 38, 39. Pierce, way to go, Pierce. Pierce. Slappy is close behind at number two, as is uh, the great NATO and Alicia Mink. So, listeners, if you want to make the the most, if you want to make the top 10 commenters list of the month, you need to head over there and share your thoughts about this episode. Did you like it? Mm, I think we are, no, we cannot. We're exempt. I have exempted anyone who already has a. Uh, oh, damn it! Now I'm going to have to make a. Otherwise, sock I would. Puppet. Otherwise, I would always be at the very top because I've got something like eleven thousand comments or I something on the side. Even and I've got like eleven thousand comments. So I'm trying to make it about you, the listener, and you, the people over at the website, and and you sitting there on the sofa, and you on the bus. Put that down. You don't know where it's been. Uh, I think that wraps I'm it up for this bus. issue. I'm on the bus, next to bombs. Next week, Zach will be back. Why? Because we know that he loves comics, and we know you do too. 
and we will talk with you soon. Yay, Zach. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers Forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers. Find the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save some bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the rack. And although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic bookstore guy knew, he'd make me wait out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Away. If I was hulking green or gray, I could bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little me would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would you bag and board your comics with such huge pants? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Major spoiler, yeah, 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 yeah. What a major spoiler. Major spoilers is copyright 2013.